Welcome to Toxic Tangents, powered by Million Marker. We're here to discuss and answer questions about everyday toxic chemicals in our lives. Learn more about Million Marker and how we can help minimize your toxic exposures at millionmarker.com. And now, here's our latest episode. Hi, everyone. You are back with Toxic Tangents at Million Marker. Today's episode, we are going to feature our very own Cecilia Fay from Public Health School at UC Berkeley. She is completing her master's degree right now, and she interned with us last year. And as always, we also have Jenna, our CEO on board, Joe, our CSO, Chris, our head of people, Grace, and Jiaxing Fang, our producer and editor, and myself, Tina. So yeah, we're just going to jump into it. So Cecilia, could you introduce yourself to our audience and how did you connect with Millie Marker and Jenna? Yeah, sure. Um, thanks, um, Tina, for the introduction. So hi, everyone. I'm Cecilia. I'm currently a master, a second year master of public health student at UC Berkeley. I finished my undergrad in Midwest at a school called WashU in St. Louis. I was majored in neuroscience and psychology. I connected with Agenda kind of through UC Berkeley. So when I was in first year, which is last April, um, we had like a spring career pathway um, seminar where our program manager in kind of like pulled in um, people who uh, graduated from the program and have them to introduce to us how their their journey to public health is, like what they are doing now after they graduate. And Jenna was one of the guests who came to talk to us. And I was very interested in toxic uh, chemicals at that time because I took a course uh, in September of the year before, which is called to- toxicology at Berkeley. And um, I was just shocked by how much we, I don't know about uh, toxic uh, chemicals and how they, they could affect our health. So when I saw or hear um, Jenna's presentation, I was like, okay, this is something I want to learn more, talk further with her. And then so I asked her a bunch of questions at the seminar. I, I think I was the only one who was like asking a question. I think I asked like five in, in a row <laughs> and um, we talked. And then I also emailed, re- reach out to her afterwards. And that's how we connected. And also she offered me to do an internship with her, which is a very great opportunity because that also fulfills my capstone internship requirement for our first year summer. So I'm, I'm actually really appreciative for this opportunity to connect with uh, Jenna and to work for her company. Thank you, Cecilia. Glad to have you on board. It was really nice working with you in the last year and you've done like fantastic job with your capstone project. I guess moving on, um, can you tell us a little bit background of your, what your project was about and why did you choose to do that project? What the overall mission is? Yeah, so this might be a long story, just a warning ahead. (laughs) My project was on chemicals called endocrine disruptors, and they're a kind of a type of chemicals that um, disrupts our endocrine system. More specifically, they interrupt the function of hormones. And the ones that I'm particularly interested in, uh, bisphenol A, which is short for uh, BPA. And I think we kind of all have heard of this before. It's a major component in plasticizers, and it's widely used in industrial pr- productions of uh, food containers or water bottles or 
or packages. BPA mimics estrogen, which is hormone that is important for female reproductive system as it regulates or is a key player in the regulation of our menstrual cycle. So if you have a significant amount of BPA accumulated in your body, your reproductive system function can be hindered. Will be a drawback if you want to or planning on having children in the near future. So I think it's important for us to know about BPA and also to be aware of it and also to um, know like what things to not do and to do to avoid being exposed to it too much. So the goal of my capstone project was mostly to show that how the exposure BPA and its major replacement um, chemicals have changed over time. So I obtained people's exposure um, data from Enhance, which I'll be introducing later. Um, you can take it now as a survey program conducted by C CDC that takes in people's like exposure uh, data from their urine sa samples. And, and CDC has those um, data from 1999 all the way to 2016. So I calculated people's average exposure for each survey cy cycle. And then I graphed out those statistics over time. Um, on a graph to show how BPA's exposure have changed and its two major replacements, which is called BPS and BPF, and how those exposure have changed over time. So what we found is that BPA's exposure have definitely decreased over time. I think the 2016 data, people's exposure level were about half of what they started in 2003. But then we weren't able to conclude if there was a trend for BPS and BPF exposure because those two are very novel uh, chemicals and they weren't monitored by NHANES starting in the cycle of 2013. So I only had two kind of uh, survey cycles of those two exposures. So there was a slight increase, I think, in both, but that was like just too minimal and we couldn't conclude anything. I'll be going over what BPS and BPF are because uh, I mentioned that a few times before and I didn't in introduce them. So, so BPS and BPF are, uh, are bisphenol S and bisphenol F. They have very, very uh, similar chemical structure to BPA. So when people realize that um, BPA has many bad or side effects or like harmful for, for people's health, there has been many regulations in place, especially by the C CDC on the usage of BPA. I think they blocked the usage of BPA in infant formula packaging as well as infant like water bottles. And just because there has been an increase in regulation or ban of BPA, the industrial or the manufacturers, they turn into BPS and BPF, which are now the major replacements of BPA in the industrial field. Um, so those two are kind of like more widely used in plastics and everything. But the thing is, for products that were that used BPS and BPF in their manufacturing, man, um, many of them are labeled as BPA-free for now because those two new um, chemicals are not regulated by any agency, so they can put themselves as BPA-free. So when you see the tag, safe to buy this product because it's BPA-free, so I'm good. What you don't know is they have BPS and BPF in there. And because, because these three uh, chemicals are so structurally similar, it's possible that BPS and BPF are also going to be interrupting our endocrine system, but we just don't have enough research on it because those two chemicals are so new. It's hard to lo lobby to the agencies to post 
regulations on those two. So I think that's also something I wrote it in my capstone paper, which I think is very important for future re- researchers to do, like to understand BPS and BPF more and to have more re- research and data on those two chemicals. Moving on, <laughs> I mentioned Enhance. So Enhance is a I think the full name is National Health and Nutrition Examination Survey, which is a program run by CDC every two years. The purpose of the program is for CDC to gain an overall idea of the health profile of people in the United States. They want to select people as randomly as possible, but the participation in, in the program is voluntary. CDC collects their urine sample and sometimes their blood sample and they do the lab work to get their uh, different metrics and they also conduct a physical exam to get their uh, body weight, height and BMI and all that. And they also have an interview to see like what their occupation is, what their household income is and all that. So it's a very uh, comprehensive profile that shows people's um, demographics, their physical health, and also their like lab work altogether. And those data are, are all like published on the website, uh, on Enhance website, and they're all free for download and public usage. I guess I can give a little bit plugging. Um, is as Cecilia said, like BPS and BPF are now widely used and in our newest panel, that will hopefully release in three to four weeks. We'll also include those replacements in our testing panel that people can actually know what their exposures are from BPS and BPF, which is pretty cool. And then this data set will be really useful in the future. You know, if the agencies are falling behind getting this data, we can also help. Yeah, I would think that's actually very, very helpful because I think one thing is that um, we don't have... efficient or sufficient exposure on data of BPS and BPF. Because I think for BPA, people have studied it over a long time already, and there has been many exposure data available in in the field. But for BPS, because it's so new, um, we don't know how people will react when they are exposed to it over a long time. So I think if we're doing something um, that collects those data, I think that would be really, really helpful for future research. Yeah, I have a couple of questions for you. Um, one is, as you get kind of deep into the NHANES database, was there anything that you wish they had kind of looked at that they don't in terms of like diet or, or health or, or anything like that? I know they have a really extensive survey, but is, was there like a piece of information where you were like, I wish they had looked at that as well or chemical or anything like that? So in terms of chemicals, I don't think I have too much expertise to have a say in those. But um, one thing that Ajena brought to my attention when I was doing my uh, internship product with her was that I was very surprised to find that Enhance did not categorize Asian as a separate ethnicity group until 2011. So all the way before 2011, Asians were kind of lumped together in this like multiracial group. So you weren't able to get the exposure data of of Asians as a particular ethnicity group before 2011. And that's also something I kind of addressed in my capstone writing. Because when, when I graph out the exposure data of BPA uh, by ethnicity groups post 2011 and before 2011, we got to see that Asians were the ethnicity group that has the lowest exposure. 
but we weren't able to see that uh, in, uh, in data that's before 2011 because they were not like categorized as an independent group. Yeah, during our exploration using Enhang, so Enhang is uh, something that we use as a company to allow our users to compare their data with the national average because Enhang is uh, the only data set exists that, that's nationally representative. Uh, from our perspective, the complaint, I guess, we have, not saying that Enhang is not a good data set, it's extremely comprehensive, extremely important because that captures all our sort of uh, the health trend and also at the population level, what kind of, for example, people's lifestyle, diet, as Joe mentioned, um, as well as other things, how do we represent as a nation? Uh, our complaints and Hang never really collect any product data um, that we know that people also have uh, get, get exposed to these chemicals through the products they use and that data was not available. So we're right now trying to collect that piece of data so we can actually give people personalized feedback. Um, but the Asian aspect is, is quite interesting and then we can already see the trend that Asian population is growing in the US uh, year after year. Now it's almost more than 6% uh, the whole US population are Asian. Um, so we think that would be a really interesting group. And it's, it's particularly if we see that some people are having lower exposure versus higher exposure, that's also very interesting. One other thing that's sort of missing in Enhanced, in our opinion, is that Enhanced only, at least for the, Enhanced has a pretty comprehensive coverage in terms of dietary assessment and other survey questions. They have more than uh, 10,000 people in the cohort, in the sample. However, for chemical exposure measurements, there were only about 3,000 and it's measured every other year, not every year. Also, it's not on the same people. So it's a cross-sectional data, meaning only showing a snapshot in time, whereas we really want people to give us, to contribute their longitudinal data so we can actually see how it changes. As Cecilia said, we can actually see the trend within the same person. And then we can also link this to potentially their health outcome information to give us additional insight, as well as cover more geographic areas. We're hoping one day to, to, you know, even if you don't take a test, even if you don't take a million marker test, you will be able to see the nationwide trend at what area that people could have potentially more exposure, what group of people could have additional exposure. And this could help us in terms of policymaking and future research. So is there anything else you find that's surprising to you, Cecilia? On your project. Also, one thing I've been noticing over my study here at UC Berkeley in public health is, is that this field is becoming more and more um, data heavy or, or, or data driven because of COVID and also many other uh, pandemic that has happened. People have, I think um, data are very important to us now, especially we can analyze it and see what the trends are and see who are the more vulnerable populate, uh, po populations. And by knowing those information, A, we can have a better intervention and preventative uh, measurements or like actions. And B is that, that those can be kind of an introduction or kind of a base for medical re re researchers to understand like why are those people more vulnerable? Like what is the mechanism be like behind that? 
for someone who wants to go into public health, I think that's important to know. As Cecilia said, everything nowadays have become really data-driven, and that's also something that we're building is by accumulating this database so that in the future we could use it for public health research as well as policy making. So Cecilia, did you change any lifestyle behavior after you did your internship, after you learned all about endocrine disrupting chemicals? We asked the same question with our previous guest, our, our graphic designer Praveen was on. So we asked him the same question. So we're giving you the same question now. Yeah, um, thanks for that. I think I actually did two major changes. First is that I ordered takeout less because most of the food are gonna be packed in plastic containers and when they're hot the plastics are gonna melt more and get into the food a lot more um, extensively so that's one thing I did I cooked for myself a lot more and I also um, use glass containers a lot more than plastic containers I think I now don't use any plastic water bottles anymore I use the water filters at my home to filter out the water and then I pour into my glass container or yeah, my like mug. So I think, and I buy like the bottled water less. Now I carry my water bottle like to places. Someone who came to the Berkeley campus as like an international student was saying, I was asking her, oh, what's the first thing you noticed? She said that everyone carries their own water bottle. And I didn't notice how popular it was, but it's true. Like everyone has their own water bottle on campus. So, you know, go with the trend, <laughs> stay hydrated, <laughs> bring your water bottle. Yeah. Also not just for your own health, but also better for the planet as well. Yeah. So what's your, what's your future plan? Are you anything after this project, anything you're planning in terms of the project? Or we can also talk about your future career plan because yeah, we know you have some <laughs> exciting things lined up after you graduate from UC Berkeley. I'll give this credit to Jenna again because <laughs> I was able to find a job that I'm really interested in, um, which is a healthcare consulting in the Bay Area. I am also planning on applying to medical schools because I'm very interested in being a cl clinician. I've always had this interest in undergrad, but then when my friends were all applying to med schools in our junior year, end of junior year, I got so panicked because people around me are all like, yes, I want to be a surgeon. Yes, I want to be a physician. I'm going to devote my <laughs> 10 more years into this field. And I'm like, do I really want this? I want a family. <laughs> I want to have kids. So I kind of like doubt myself. And I decided just to explore more in, in, uh, in the healthcare field because I think when I was in undergrad, um, didn't have the chance to explore um, other um, different professions in, in the field. I only knew that medicine was something that um, people around me all go into. So I think that was my de default. But when I came to Berkeley, I got to expose to a lot more um, different opportunities in healthcare. So I think that was something very important to me. And also my work at Berkeley kind of also confirmed my decision to go into healthcare because um, at Berkeley in public health, I did a lot of uh, data work and as well as um, lit, lit review. Those were very important information to know, but I also do feel that um, my inner self craves the patient physician this in-person interaction. Um, because when I was doing um, data analysis, I see all of the data points, but I don't see the people behind those. And those were kind of like um, something I think that was missing in my work. And I really crave that 
So that's also um, in my agenda <laughs> to apply to med school or any nursing practitioner or physician assistant schools that because I want to become a cl clinician sometime. Uh, but we'll see. I don't know. Uh, I'm, I'm not too sure yet. Um, so yeah, that's something for now. Also, I just want to jump in and say it's exciting that there's going to be doctors or nurses or clinicians out there that understand the role of toxic chemicals and exposure to the health. So it's great that yeah, that's what you want to do. Too. <laughs> it's exciting. And you can still have a family. I have lots of friends who are doctors so. <laughs> and have families. Absolutely. One thing we came across when we talked to many doctors, particularly like, you know, primary care physicians, and then the feedback we got was that in medical school, they don't really teach doctors about endocrine disrupting chemicals, or even just in general, environmental health is not really talked about. So we're really happy that our own Cecilia, when you become a doctor, that you will know all these topics and be educating your patients about about these important exposures and uh, how to avoid them. Yeah, fingers crossed I do get in. <laughs> we don't know, it's so hard. Wait, 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 we have no doubt in you. So <laughs> we'll keep our fingers crossed. Oh, thank you for that. <laughs> thank you so much, Cecilia, for sharing all these fascinating details. They're very extensive and thorough research. It's great to have someone both in Million Marker and still completing a degree as a student share their experience. So thank you again for presenting your capstone project with us. My pleasure. Thank you all for inviting me. It was great. This episode was produced and edited by Jiaxing Feng. Theme music by Joe Rochester and Grady Harper. Visit us at millionmarker.com to learn about our test kit and other services, read our blog posts on a variety of topics, ask a question that you'd like answered, or suggest a topic for us to discuss on the show. Thanks for listening!